Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. You have been like girl about town, Grace Aki, because you have been <laughs> everywhere for the past like three or four days. We're going to talk about some of the fun things that you've been doing and seeing here in the show today. But like you're always everywhere and super busy and super packed. But I feel like the last four or five days, especially going back to last weekend, like that's been kicked into overdrive. Is it just because F's out of town and you got to fill your time with something to do? What's going on? I think to be frank, it's it's all of the above and everything is happening. Like everyone is back in the city. It feels like they're moving their projects along. They're getting their projects to the next level. They're doing their, they've now done their out of town or they are about to do their out of town. There's so much to see. I'm so grateful. There's so much exciting stuff that's happening off Broadway. There's exciting stuff that's happening on Broadway. It's so competitive. And I think that it just uplifts everyone else. It's more so how are we getting people to the theater? Cause we can see like in, a, in from a logistical standpoint, we can see that they're coming to the city. We can see that they're in the city. You know, the airports are full. People are moving about town. But, you know, are they, uh, can we continue to see them at the theater? You know, are we, and, and of course, because um, as we're recording this last evening, Broadway for Biden, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, you know, they said a record number of 20 times Broadway's back. So we're all trying to convince <laughs> ourselves to um, uh, all of those things. So um, it's very exciting. But yes, I'm definitely a, a cog in the wheel right now, for sure. I was not going to mention uh, Biden for Broadway or Broadway for Biden or whatever it was, although I do know that he was there and had some statements, which is fine. It, it's related, I suppose, but uh, I wasn't going to talk about it, but um, uh, I know that was a big deal and caused a lot of traffic and a lot of delays because the Secret Service was involved, but that's always fun. So uh, anyway, let's dive into the news, Grace. And it started off with an exclusive report from Deadline talking about a new star-studded off-Broadway revival of The Night of the Iguana. Of course, Tennessee Williams' iconic play. This one is coming to the Irene Diamond stage at the Pershing Square Signature Theater later this year. It is being produced by the La Femme Theater Productions, and it is going to star a great company of actors, Daphne Rubin Vega, is going to be leading the company along with Tim Daly, Leah Delaria, Austin Pendleton, and Gene Lichty. The show will begin performances on December 6th with an opening night on December 17th. It is currently scheduled to run through February 25th. The La Femme Theater Productions is a company that is dedicated to showcasing the diverse female experience. And if you are familiar with The Night of the Iguana, it focuses on one man who encounters four different women from all different ages and backgrounds on like a, a dark and stormy night in Acapulco. So this really fits um, kind of with their theme there. It is being directed by Emily Mann, who had previously worked with Daphne Rubin Vega on Tennessee Williams's A Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway uh, back in 2012. So a nice reuniting for them. But like, Big time names for an off-Broadway show. Love this. And I think it's really interesting, Grace, because normally if you would tell me, Night of the Iguana, Daphne Rubin Vega, Tim Daly, Leah Laria, Austin Pendleton at the Signature Center, I was like, oh, that's a great revival for Signature to be doing. But it's not from them. And obviously they do lots of rentals, but I think it's very interesting that like these smaller production companies and theater companies are getting some pretty big names to come and do shows off-Broadway. Again, 
perhaps going to the strike of it all. But like, this is a mm-hmm. really exciting cast, a really exciting show and a production that it will probably be one that you have to see towards the end of this year, beginning of 2024. I was even just discussing this with, you know, John Turturro, Jason Kravitz and Elizabeth Marvel at the new group. Like you're getting, you're, you're getting these like really incredible actors that do, do want to do a play, do want to do a show. And they know that they've got a finite time to do it in. And they're not sure, you know, if the, um, how long the strike is going to go on and everyone's getting scrappy, which is also really exciting because it seems like everybody's down to do whatever, but yeah, I I'm, I'm mindful of the exact same thing. And and I think it's interesting because obviously like Elizabeth Marvel is always doing a show in New York. But when you get these people who don't do that nearly as much as they perhaps might like to, like a John Turturro, who is obviously also writing the show that he's uh, doing for the new group. But like it just shows you that some of these people who we think of as like these TV and uh, and movie stars, like a lot of them have real chops that we just don't think of like i feel like even though even if they give great performances on tv and and film which Totoro does all the time but like i feel like it it just reminds us that like they're really good at acting no matter where they are especially when they get an opportunity to do it on stage i think like we forget that that real acting real actors do work in film and tv too and it's not just on stage but it is cool to be able to see them uh flex their muscles a little bit more when they come to new york as well So, Grace, speaking of Hollywood stars doing New York plays, on Monday night, Job, definitely Job, not Job, officially opened Off-Broadway, starring the great Peter Friedman. You saw the show, and you interviewed the playwright as well ahead of time, but I'm fascinated to hear what you thought of this show now that it's officially open and you can talk about it on air for other people to hear. I've been dying to talk about this. I had to have a three-hour post-show dinner to talk about it with my friend. And we just kept talking. The second we left the theater, I was just like, I love plays. I love theater so much. And I love downtown theater. And I I, I am so grateful to the conversation that I had with Max. He's a, an incredible playwright. But also, it makes a lot more sense that if you listened to that episode, and please go back and do that if you haven't already, that he was quite cryptic. Um, he only gave me as much as he possibly could. And now when I talk about the show, I have to be that cryptic because mm-hmm. it's just genuinely, I mean, it, it just starts quite intensely. And so from there, you're like, okay, well, I'm I'm witnessing a very intense conversation. And even if like that doesn't seem like your thing, I think that if you are intrigued by what technology is doing to us as different generations unfold, you will be intrigued by the show. There is a 10-minute diatribe, and again, I'm not spoiling anything, but there's a 10-minute diatribe of the uh, Sydney Lemon's character going off about how like her phone isn't ruining her life. Her phone's like her best friend in a way. And how like this, this is our communicative, like this is our, this is our communal device. Like this as a generation is like how we are able to connect with each other. And it's like a beautiful thing, which is how I feel like I'm always describing TikTok because people are like, how can you like that? You know, it's rotting your brain. And I'm like, I learn on TikTok. It's like my learning channel. Like I'm, I'm able to like utilize the storage in my kitchen better because of TikTok. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's great. I hear people with different perspectives. And so anyways, it was just really, but then also these people are terribly flawed and also they have great points and that's humanity and that's what good playwriting is. And I was so, 
I've been so eager to see the reception of the show to no surprise. It is sold out for the rest of the run, but you can sign up for their newsletter to see if there are, you know, tickets available. I have done so, so that I can bring people back if possible. I just think what a, what a great, what a great show. And um, I'm really grateful to the press room for letting me not only see it, but talk to Max. And I hope that more people get to do so. Very cool. Love that. Those are the type of shows that you love to hear about having commercial success as well. And obviously, if it's sold out, that means that uh, the word of mouth has gotten out and not only just because of the stars of the show, but because of the, uh, of how good it is as well. So very pumped about that. All right, I'm going to run through last week's Broadway grosses here really quickly. Grace, let's start off before I get into like the overall big picture numbers talking about Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. That had a huge drop last week, unsurprisingly, because Josh Groban was on vacation. And uh, I don't think we talked about it here, but they had some hydraulic complications with the production and, and with the set. So they did like a 40 minute concert at the beginning of the show instead and just did like, uh, you know, in chairs and stood. So Sweeney Todd only did six performances. Groban was already out, so it was already going to be dropping, but it fell $737,000 to come in at $855,701. Overall, that is generally, or generally, it's one of the biggest shows on Broadway. Not going to be there that week, but that's like the big outlier when you look at the numbers. But overall, because Broadway actually added three new shows in previews, which we'll talk about here in a second, it did see a, a bump in grosses despite the huge downturn for for Sweeney Todd. It came in at $21,640,927. Attendance increased 7% to creep over 203000 But the average ticket price, perhaps because of uh, the difference in, in price against Sweeney Todd and a lot of things in previews, went down to $106.59, down 5%. The top show overall was, again, The Lion King at $1,834,382, followed by Hamilton at $1.7, Wicked at $1.5, MJ the Musical at $1.48, and then Aladdin at $1.2. The rest of the shows north of a million dollars were only three, Moulin Rouge, Back to the Future, and Cursed Child. But I want to look at some of the shows that were beginning previews last week, and let's start with Gutenberg the Musical, which came in at... $376,300 $376,300 over three performances. It had a about a 96% capacity at $122.65 average ticket price, so a really good start for them. We also saw Melissa Etheridge, My Window, did four performances at $184,162, much lower ticket price, much lower capacity. And then Yaya's African Hair Braiding at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater had six performances, only did $165,345, which is what we always talk about. Pretty normal for a show in a subscription house. It always starts super low. And um, even though it's not a huge theater, hopefully that will increase. But what's good to know is that it did play to 97% capacity. So that is always good to know when you start to think about that. Um, other shows, Pearly Victorious, still in previews. It had already been open for or uh, running for a week or so. It only did $331,700, but that is moving up significantly over the previous week. So things are starting to come, Grace. These numbers will start to look very different you know, between now and November. Uh, and into December when more shows are coming, ticket prices go up, there's more tourists in town. But for now, doing fairly decently across the board, especially with the new shows coming in. All right, let's talk uh, about something else, Grace, that you went and saw 
on Monday night, and there was a big fifth anniversary celebration of the Audible Theater at the Mineta Lane Theater. So it's been five years since Audible Theater kind of like took over programming at the Mineta Lane Theater and has done 42 live shows. They've released 114 audio titles on Audible. They've commissioned 50 playwrights through its Emerging Playwrights Fund and received 35 award nominations and 13 wins, including Tony, Lortel, Drama Desk, and Audi Awards. They had a celebration. A bunch of stars were there. I'll let you talk about that. But they announced three new upcoming shows that'll happen at the Manetta Lane, and they will be released as Audible Originals. The first is called The Energy Curfew Music Hour, featuring the Grammy-winning band Punch Brothers, which I'm unfamiliar with completely. Then there will be a three-night-only show called Nobody Cares, starring my favorite, Laura Benanti, who will sing all original music created by Todd Almond, who is her friend and music director. He was also in the cast of Girl from the North Country on Broadway. And then the final will be the world premiere of a play called Dead Outlaw, which is the first commissioned musical that Audible has ever done. It is by the Tony-winning team that brought us the band's visit, book writer Itamar Moses, and then music and lyrics by Eric Della Pena and David Yazbek. And it is being directed by my recent guest here in an episode uh, on Broadway Radio, David Cromer. So very cool things. They also announced a bunch of uh, stuff that is coming directly to Audible, so you can he- read about all of that in the in the show notes. But Grace, tell me about this event. I know, like every famous person in New York was either there or at the Broadway for <laughs> Biden thing. So very cool. So I- I'm interested to hear what your thoughts were and how you interacted with a playwright that changed your life, even if it was only through social media. Yeah, I truly did not interact with David Kale. Um, shout out. I I what? Okay, let's back up. Very grateful. Thank you, BBB, for uh, letting me attend this really lovely fifth anniversary of Audible. Famously, my friend and playwright, Kate Robards, invited me to see Harry Clark at the Audible Minetta Lane Theater, David Kale's play that starred Bailey Crudup um, five years ago. And it legitimately changed my life and understanding of social plays, or social um, solo plays in like the social context of like multiple characters and all these things. Like it really did move me so much. It's always my recommendation um, whenever we've talked about audible. It's, it's one of the first things that I bring up. But so I saw David Kale's work. I've seen David Kale's work since at the Vineyard Theater and otherwise and so on and so forth and got to, I think, interview him for the show. And I've, I've spoken to him very briefly and I was just so excited and starstruck by the evening that, you know, I wasn't going to go up to him. Um, and so what I posted on my social was a photo of David in the audience looking up on stage to Billy talking about their, their journey with the show, introducing the whole audible night. And it's just this really be- like, you can see the glow of the screen on David's face. I thought it was a really sweet moment to capture. So I posted it and just was like sharing my sentiments and then. And he wrote back to me that it meant a lot to him. So that made my life. Um, that was very exciting. But just knowing that, you know, they, the, what they kept iterating over and over again is that their commitment to artists is so palpable, you know, between seeing Swing State last week and then having Coleman Domingo talk about his work that he's bringing back, that he's directing and Kate Naven being name dropped a billion times as they're like, you know, director in charge of programming and all the things like the way that they foster a home for artists should not be overlooked. I also got to hear David Yazbek talk for a long time about this particular mummy that he's fascinated by. And that was funny. (laughs) Santino Fontana talking about uh, having to, you know, simulate a 
very precarious solo self uh, sex act in his parents' closet during um, the recording of an audible thing. It was just, it was a really fun, crazy night. And um, I really, really enjoyed it top to bottom. The work that they do is so revered by the community and no one else can do what they do. So the fact that they are developing new work, which is such an investment, and we know that everyone's been cutting that wing off of, of everyone's, you know, uh, theaters, that the fact that they are still committed to it, that they can be, and then also that they're fostering kind of abandoned works and all that good stuff. So um, it was really special. And to hear that there was so much coming up was was even more exciting. Very cool. Um, there's a lot of news that I want to get to, but I'm going to run through it very quickly because we're already uh, going a little bit long. But hey, Grace, did you hear that Andrew Lloyd Webber's Starlight Express is going to return to London in 2024? It has been the thing that everybody is talking about. It is being put into a specially designed Starlight Auditorium, which is at the Troubadour Wembley Park Theater. It is directed by Luke Shepard from Anne Juliet fame, and it will begin performances on June 8th of next year. I mean, Starlight Express doesn't get done very often. So, I, I mean, am I, does this, is this what's going to be what takes me to London for the first time, Grace? I don't know. Maybe. We will see. Sean Young is an actress who um, kind of came to fame in the 80s and was, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people know her for now is that she, and I don't remember the veracity of this story, she got very upset when she was not cast as Catwoman in the Batman movies. And she did like this whole thing on like maybe Sally Jesse Raphael about how she should have been Catwoman. It, it's just this weird bonkers story and anyway she's gonna make her off-broadway debut in a play called ode to the wasp woman written by writer mcdowell it is about a real life actor named susan cabot who was murdered back in the uh i think in the 60s or early 70s it's a fascinating story if you go through she's a b-movie star correct yes she's a b-movie like an ed wood style yeah 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 so there's um uh, it's an interesting story read the deadline article i don't want to get into all of it but Hearing that Sean Young was going to be a part of that just kind of was like, whoa, that was not who I thought was going to be making their off-Broadway debut this season. So uh, very fascinating, very interesting. The show will begin performances at the Actors Temple Theater on October 30th, and it chronicles the last 48 hours in the lives of not only Cabot, but George Reeves, who was the star of the TV original TV version of Superman, Carl Switzer, who played Alfalfa in the R Gang comedies, The Little Rascals. And uh, then Barbara Payton, who is also a B-movie queen, who was the star of Bride of the Gorilla. So interesting story, interesting concept. We'll be interested to hear about that. Also, our friends over at Broadway Records announced that they will be releasing a cast album for the London immersive production of Guys and Dolls that will be coming out digitally on September 29th and then physically on October 27th. Great cast. Marisha Wallace plays Miss Adelaide. Both you and I have interviewed her here on Broadway Radio. I mean, she's kind of teased on social media that perhaps a New York run of this show could happen. So we'll see. But certainly uh, looking forward to hearing that when I love guys and dolls. Uh, And then, Grace, let's talk real quick about some recommendations, because this one has kind of blown up all over the place on social media over the past 24 hours. And it has to do with Aladdin understudy Michaela Renfro. She was on a plane flying back back from her vacation in Europe when she was over the Atlantic and she got a message, thank goodness for in-flight Wi-Fi, from the Aladdin stage manager saying, hey, a bunch of people are out. I think I might need you. 
That's a problem because she was, again, on a plane over the Atlantic Ocean. And she's like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it in time. Like I land within like an hour and a half or two hours of the curtain. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through customs and get from the airport to the theater. So she talked to the flight attendant on, on her Delta flight and they pulled some strings. They pushed her through customs really quickly. They got her a helicopter that flew her directly from JFK somewhere into Manhattan. She took the train from the helipad to the theater. She was able to make it before half hour, um, but she posted this really sweet, really kind of, touching, um, but also very stressful TikTok, um, which I'll link to in the show notes. But uh, I love that story. Not ideal when you have to have somebody who is coming back from vacation go on, you know, on a day that they weren't even supposed to be in the show. But with everybody out, a lot of people still kind of dealing with some COVID stuff, Grace. It was nice to see that they could make this happen. And it was a kind of a a harrowing story to follow along with. Um, And I'm glad that Michaela made it in time for the show last Tuesday. All right, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW. Matt, Grace, where can people find you? You can find me all over social media at It's Grace Hockey. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful Wednesday, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.